In this episode of A Side of Data, I talked to Rafael Conforti about his experience of founding a process mining startup. I'm Anton Yeshenko and welcome to A Side of Data, a podcast about unconventional side of data science. In today's episode of A Side of Data, I welcome Rafael Conforti, co-founder of a first Australian process mining company, Process Diamond. Before working at his own company, he has finished PhD in Queensland's University of Technology and worked as an assistant professor at Melbourne University. While working at universities, he worked with several Italian and Australian companies for BPM and process mining related projects. Yeah, welcome to A Side of Data, Rafael. Thanks a lot, Anton, for having me here. It's a pleasure to be here and uh, be part of your podcast. Yeah, thank you for accepting the invitation. So I'm very excited to talk to you because um, you're making, you're creating a startup in this, uh, I would already say, quite saturated field of uh, process mining. And it's especially interesting because even to define process mining for business, I think it's sometimes can get challenging so first question i would ask you what for you or what do you call process mining and especially when you try to explain for businesses that you want to acquire when you want to acquire clients how do you explain what process mining is Uh, that's an interesting question i think uh, one of the elements that we have to consider when we try to address this question is that some of us come with a predefined understanding of process mining that is basically coming from our academic background. So often we tend to associate process mining to a simple discovery of processes, or eventually now we are moving toward elements like conformance checking or uh, predictive monitoring. Uh, But the way we at Process Diamond see process mining, it's on a uh, a bit more uh, holistic point of view. So these are some of the elements of process mining, but it's basically for us process mining, it's everything that has to do with data produced by processes. So any sort of insight that not necessarily needs to be related to the discovery of a model or the discovery of the conformance and so on and so forth. And to this extent, for us process mining, it's also the possibility of generating insight and explore uh, improvement possibility by by the use of data that have been somehow trained thanks to historical data. Okay, because I mean now now this sounds a little bit vague. And um, how do you then make a case for actually process mining and not uh, data mining or machine learning? Like how do you actually differentiate? Well, the the first thing that we uh, explain to our customer when we approach them is that when you analyze data through uh, classical uh, data mining or machine learning algorithm, what you tend to forget is that in the context of processes, events have a meaning because they somehow work together toward the achievement of something. In classical data mining, often these events are a bit of uh, uncorrelated with each other, and they are all either treat each one of them independently or as all of them together. 
why mm-hmm. in our case is when we introduce the concept of cases, where basically we do a kind of a different type of analysis that allow us to discover different aspects that classical machine learning doesn't doesn't do, is not capable of doing, unless basically the person who is trained in that is aware of these subtleties. I mean, we, we all know that basically process mining is a kind of a derivative child of data mining applied to processes. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you also talk about BPM while explaining about process mining or? Yes. Is it, uh, yes? Business process management is an important aspect of it because process mining, it's often could be seen as a tool within a bigger project that is not even the BPM project. It's more like a business improve a process not sorry a business improvement or a business transformation project where then you bring in bpm capabilities and with it process mining capabilities in order to basically uh, produce enough knowledge and uh, insights mm-hmm. that will drive the initiative okay cool so uh, okay let's step one back one step back and i i want to ask you more about uh, like your motivation and, and why why did you actually think of creating a software company uh, versus for example being a consultant and using the software that is already created because uh, if you count there already uh, 20 plus other software vendors why what's this like how yeah how would you motivate your choice to do that uh, i think the main reason Okay, cle- uh, clearly both me and Ali Rezo Stovar, my co-founder, we are trained uh, software developers, trained uh, BPM researchers, and uh, uh, trained basically people that develop algorithms. So for us, working in this area, we realized that often by using standard uh, application when we were doing uh, consultancy work and these kind of things, we always needed to write some code because the tools currently available were not fitting our needs. And that's the problem. So long as you, as a uh, consultant, simply rely on the tool of another company, you, may o- you will always end up missing something. In this case, we decided to create our company because we realized that some of those tools were missing, were lacking certain functionalities that we were often in need of. And okay, you could have done it by jumping through five different tools, having to customly uh, convert data from one format to another, modify mm-hmm. it a bit so that basically the data worked in the format that you needed and so on and so forth. And that was like a quite time consuming process. So at the end of it, we said, okay, if we have our own platform, at least we know that all the tools that we believe are necessary. And additionally, that any tool that may end up being necessary in the future, we will always be able to incorporate in it. Plus, we will be able still to provide the consultancy, but at least we are confident that we know how certain results are being produced. One of the other problems that you tend to face when you use the tool of another company is that, especially when you are a a researcher in the BPM and process mining area, you are not 100% sure of how a certain tool 
and I'm not talking about open source tool, produce mm -hmm. such a result. At least mm -hmm. in our case, mm -hmm. we are always able to justify why a certain result is in a certain format or not. Because we know what is the underpinning algorithm that we used. So to be more precise, for example, if you discover a model, you know exactly, for example, why there would be an arc and how it's kind of... Correct. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, the, the, and not only, uh, the point is that, okay, when you start introducing uh, algorithm, for example, discover, uh, a, as you say, a BPM model, I will be able to tell you why in there we have an end and why we don't. Or even just at the level of a process map, sometimes you may see or not see the presence of multiple arcs outgoing. They could be like, okay, but this is from the data that I analyze. There shouldn't be multiple. Why is it the case? At least in our case, we know why. Okay. I'm not sure if it's. Uh, uh, and how would you sh very shortly maybe explain the difference between BPM and process map for the people who do not know what it is? Okay. Uh, uh, first of all, must be said that both a process map and a BPMN model, they play an important role within a, a process mining uh, analysis. The point is that the two roles are coexistent, but not necessarily conflicting with each other. A process map, I, we often tend to use it as a preliminary type of work when you want to analyze, to quickly analyze where potential bottlenecks are and where and how, let's say, messy the execution of your process could be. And when we talk about process map, we limit ourselves to two basic elements, what we can call an activity and what we call an handover. So basically, uh, an, let's say an arc, an edge, connecting two of this activity and representing the passage of work between mm -hmm the completion of one activity to another. So if you exemplify, for example, with pizza delivery, so it's when they cook the pizza and then they gave it to the driver, it will be a handover. And uh, between these two activities, there will be an arc. So that's how you display this on the process map. Perfect, that's correct. Mm -hmm. So we will have two, in this case, we have a baking pizza, it's one box, deliver pizza, it's another box. And then as you mentioned before, there will be an arc connecting the two. And this will be our endover. And this is going to be uh, the simplest uh, process map, which ironically, yeah. in this particular case, it also matching 100% with the potential BPM model behind. Uh, things start to be a bit complicated, a bit different and more interesting. It's when you tend to have some sort of uh, what we commonly call uh, concurrency or parallelism within the execution of your processes. And in this case, a process map doesn't show it. A process map will only show a massive amount of endovers between activities. Mm -hmm. And it will not be able to actually show the fact that in reality, two elements are simply being executed independently from each other and basically concurrently with each other. Uh, can you maybe give an example of what it is? Yes. In this case, for example, when you, pre uh, when you prepare a pizza, uh, mm -hmm. you may have to, okay, you uh, stretch the dough and then you will put your cheese, the, sorry, the tomato, the cheese, 
And then let's assume you have two types of topics. One could be uh, pepperoni and the other one, let's say, onions. Now, mm -hmm. nobody is forcing you to place the pepperoni before the onions. So during the execution, sometimes you may see one before the other, and some other times you see the on so sometimes you see onions before pepperoni, sometimes you see pepperoni before onions. In the case of a process map, in this case, you will notice uh, several arcs going from putting uh, cheese on the pizza and then to the pepperoni, then to the onion, and then to the baking process. Otherwise, some other time you see cheese, then onions, then pepperoni, then baking. Sometimes it could also be that people forgot to put the onions, and so they skip it. So you will see a lot of those arcs, and you, will, you may wrongly assume that somebody may end up doing pepperoni, onions, pepperoni, onions several times, because technically from a process map, what you can detect is the potential execution of a cycle over these mm -hmm. two elements. And this is one of the problems of a process map. It's not powerful enough to actually show you... Oh, okay, the cycle, yeah. Mm. Show you that the execution of this placing pepperoni and places, placing onion is actually independent from each other and can be executed in any order. Mm -hmm. So it provides you an abstraction la layer that actually clarifies certain elements, certain aspects of your process. And basically then in this regard, you will be able to, for example, assess with a more accurate uh, precision if, for example, you are violating certain KPIs, you are violating certain constraints, uh, you are or not uh, introducing a uh, source of waste in your process. So this is why I believe that BPMN is an important tool that a business analyst should look at when analyzing a process. Okay, so you explain what is a process map and so what is the BPMN then? A BPMN, as I was saying before, it's a, a more refined model where this time you introduce some extra elements. And in particular, these are routing constructs. And at the basic level, I mean, there are way more elements, but normally in this case, we tend to consider three basic elements that are the XOR gateway, which basically at this point is nothing else that like any other arc out going from one activity to and going inside another one. Then you have the end gateway that basically it's a construct that allows you to perform multiple activities concurrently to each other. And then you have the OR gateway, which basically it's a can be considered as a element in between the end gateway and the XOR gateway. So allows you to execute multiple activities in parallel with each other, but not necessarily all of them. Mm -hmm. So, so it's basically, basically yeah. it's, um, it's the possibility uh, of enabling parallelism with uh, a non-strict uh, requirement on the execution of every outgoing path. Okay, so for you, uh, w would you summarize it as uh, if you have a process map where it has activities and then handovers between activities, and then BPMN is basically um, a little bit improved, also model where there's activities and there's 
handovers between activities, but between handovers there can also be a type of um, basically type of handover that is uh, can cause, for example, parallel that is two activities at the same time or only one out of two that's representing choice. And this, yeah. So uh, an XO will allow you to represent choices. Uh, mm -hmm. An end will allow you to represent concurrency, and uh, or will allow you to represent uh, conditional concurrency. Mm -hmm. Okay. And if you if you think about it in the context of uh, of the pizza that we were talking before, in this case, when you introduce a BPMN model, after the activity placing cheese, you will have a routing construct that in this case could be either an end or even um, uh, more probably an or, since I mentioned before that sometimes people do not want onion, where basically after this or gateway, you will have just two outgoing arcs, one going inside place uh, pepperoni, and the other one going mm -hmm. inside the activity place onion, after which they will merge again into another or join and will continue. And when you look at this model, you will immediately see that actually there are no loops, so there is no rework, no source of waste in your process. Mm -hmm. So this is okay, why so I believe that uh, BPMN is quite important as part okay. of the analysis. So now we uh, went a little bit aside and talking about BPMN um, versus process map. Um, is that what you like? Is that what your software also intends to do? Is discover also BPMN? Because I know that most of the software just is discover process map with some um, characteristic on top. We do discover process map, but we also allow users to discover BPMN models, fully fledged BPMN models, mm -hmm. with that are still enriched with uh, uh, execution information. So you will see the same source of information that you would normally see on a process map, such as uh, the average duration, for example, or the frequency of execution of an activity, or the frequency uh, how often a certain endover, or basically how often a certain arc is traversed. But all this information, they are also mapped on top of a BPMN model. Uh, and so basically, this will uh, allow you to have a, a more precise representation of what your uh, real processes are within your company. That gives you also an extra advantage. And the advantage is that often during a improvement or business transformation process, uh, people may need to document the current state of the art. And our tool will speed up this documentation process because they will be able to map out their ASIS state in just a few clicks. Mm -hmm. While with a, with a process map, uh, when we consider a BPMN approach, a process map does not fit as an ASIS model. An ASIS oh, model okay. is generally a proper uh, business process. But this could be a ARIS model, could be a, sorry, a EPC, a Patronet, a BPMN, but it has to be a model that has a well-defined semantic behind. Okay, uh, so as I understood, one of the things that you do uh, more than usual process vendors, uh, process uh, mining vendors do is BPMN, but how, uh, like, okay, in 2020 now, okay, yeah, 20 plus, 30 plus companies that do process mining, how would you just 
um, differentiate your product from more established competitors such as Salonis, for example, because they have 400 or how many 500 people working at their um, tool right now. Like if if you are to compete, how can you differentiate and how can you compete? What's your uh, main advantages? Uh, okay, we the way we see ourselves is that we have. So first of all, we tend to provide a complete support of the BPMN language, such as we not only discover it, but we basically allow the user to edit such a BPMN models and simulate such a BPMN model, share such a BPMN models. So uh, our main differentiating factor compared to uh, Celonis is the fact that our entire analysis it's rooted around the concept of a, it's mainly rooted around the concept of a BPMN mm -hmm. uh, model. So that basically we tend to provide a full support to analysts that wants to move a bit more uh, deeper into the BPM area. Okay, cool. Um, and um, also, I read that uh, your software has um, conformance checking. So that's the, so I have several questions about that. Um, of course, the main question will be about computer, computational complexity. That is, how do you handle it? Because you are now in the area of um, basically not academic tools. So it's supposed to work fast. That's that's first question. And second, um, do you use also BPMN and um, BPMN notation and then you display also conformance checking results on top of it. So let's start from the first one. Uh, what about the computation comp complexity for your analysis? So that, that's, a valid, yes. that's a valid question. And uh, one thing that we, we have to consider is, first of all, is that, yes, it's true, the computational complexity of alignment, because we have to remember that in this case, we tend to refer to alignment when we do conformance checking. It's uh, greater than exponential. <laughs> yes. And uh, this is one of the major factors. But one thing that you have to consider is that often this uh, exponential complexity, first of all, they are the extreme cases. So you mm -hmm. tend to eat them when you have highly unconformant processes. So this is the first aspect that we have to consider. And the mm -hmm. second aspect, these performances tend to affect your process quite heavily when the entire uh, implementation tend to be a bit uh, due to underline the, the underlying data structure that is basically the way you handle logs that could play a big role. And the last important thing to consider in terms of the complexity is that it is, the complexity can be so expensive when you try to analyze each single uh, deviation in the context of an alignment. That is mm -hmm. where you tend to eat the really the, 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 the big problem. The, the way we uh, analyze the conformance of our processes is not the way uh, proposed originally by Baldwin, uh, Ali Adriansha and Will van der Alst. We, we, our conformance checking is not based on alignment. Mm -hmm. So we do not face these challenges that I just 
uh, mentioned so far. And uh, this, is, this is one of our advantages. So it, uh, if you try the conformance checking in our case, you will see that it tends to be quite extremely fast in comparison to alignment. Mm -hmm. The problem, th there is one fundamental problem that is like the results are not comparable. First of all, because so far there is no real gold standard when you when you talk about conformance checking. Some people may disagree, but the alignment, despite being the most referenced approach, is not necessarily the ultimate way of computing a conformance checking. It could be relevant if you are trying to basically align a trace to a model and identify the path within this model that minimizes the number of skips that you have to introduce. But people may argue that this is not the, pro the, 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 the proper way to discuss the to, to a measure alignment. If I recall, uh, in BPM, there was 2018 in Sydney, one of the approaches was an alternative case of alignment where they were actually not trying to minimize the skip, but trying to maximize the number of uh, synchronous move. So you are already proposing a different approach for alignment. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm not sure if I deviated too much from your uh, questions. No, 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 I'm, um, you're on track. It just, uh, yeah, it makes me understand that uh, also uh, this conformance checking, it's quite, um, uh, yeah, there are, okay, there are three types of conformance checking. as replay-based uh, alignment and the third one. Behavior-based uh, conformance checking. So like uh, the approach from uh, uh, Nick Van Beest. Mm -hmm. Nick Van Beest and uh, Abel Armas. Yeah, so I just wanted to say that the mostly in academia we talk about the the most complicated that is alignment, and we say okay, it's uh, it's very hard, etc. But maybe, yeah. That, that that's that's a good point. That that is often a problem at academic level. At a business level, uh, you will see that the type of solution that the academic alignment provides is not what businesses are interested in. Knowing that they have one million traces and each one have one activity that deviates doesn't provide to a business any meaningful insight mm -hmm. because they will need a massive amount of work power to then check one by one all the differences that your alignment produces and identify which one are relevant and which one are not. And this is one of the reasons we, why we basically uh, we do not uh, provide conformance check using alignment because for our purposes this is not the type of approach that we need. Okay, makes sense. Then the uh, second question about uh, conformance checking. Do you, uh, how do you use BPMN and conformance checking results at the same time? How, how, how did you figure out the way and why do you think it's a good way, for example? Like how do you okay. test it? We, we used BPMN because it's true BPMN that basically for us, it's our reference model. Uh, you could have, uh, and when you do a, even in the context of alignment, 
you need a reference model to basically align your event log to a model. And we decided to pick BPMN simply because, first of all, as I said before, it's the language that we basically support on the platform, but this is because it's the most commonly used language to model processes. Mm -hmm. And for us, we use the BPMN model. So basically the uh, model provided in input as a way to elicitate the differences that are inside the log. So what, we, what our uh, compliance checker does, it basically highlights on top of a uh, BPMN model that you provide an input, which one are the paths that are actually executed with respect to your, uh, to your requirements, which one are the ones that are never executed, and which one are the path, which may also include activities that are actually introduced by your process that were not expected to be. So for us, the use of a BPMN tool, it's a mean to assess the complexity, sorry, to assess the compliance of your process, but also to show where your process deviates and where it doesn't. Okay. Which is, uh, we believe, a more uh, informative way for a business analyst when he tries to assess if there are any compliance issues within their process. Because mm -hmm. by looking at the model, if they see an endover between two activities and this endover shouldn't be there, they will immediately see it. And it's easier to notice these kind of things. Why? It could be hidden over 10,000 traces that you have to check manually. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, I actually wanted now to, to, to talk a little bit more about just about creating um, this and how, uh, like about your experience in working um, in a startup uh, for, process for process mining software company. Like, um, could you maybe somehow tell us a story of how um, how you came up with this idea and how you followed and um, like how you created um, the startup and how, how it's going? Well, the, I have to give credit to Alireza Zostovar because he was the person that originally came up with the idea. We were uh, once, uh, we were talking, uh, we were uh, sharing a few drinks and we were talking about the lack of uh, a process mining company within the southern uh, hemisphere, especially in the Australian, New Zealand region and also some of the uh, Asian region. There was no presence of uh, process mining companies here. So we decided to basically embark in this adventure to fill this gap in this area. Because one of the things that you have to consider is that each market, uh, it's a bit unique on its own. And the Australian market is probably the most unique that we have seen so far. Uh, and I, I, from our experience, European companies tend to struggle quite a bit to enter this type of market. So this is why we decided that there was the need for a process mining company here in, in mm -hmm. Australia. But this, having said so, it doesn't mean that we are limited to Australia, but we are actually a worldwide company. 
But what do you mean by unique? Could you give some example maybe? It's, the, it's mainly uh, it's a cultural aspect. It's the way you interact and you do business. In Australia, it's slightly different than uh, in the US or in Europe. Mm. Uh, here, the, there is a strong need of the human interaction and the human connection in order to do business. In, uh, in the US uh, and in, in, uh, in, in Europe, this is uh, it's a bit less of a need. Mm. Okay. And um, Job, could you tell how it further how it further happened? Like how, for example, because um, I, I guess uh, first with how do you live without uh, a client first when you develop on the first stages? You you still live in Melbourne and you need to um, yeah you need to survive basically. How do you uh, cope with that? Oh well, uh, that one is just a matter of being uh, knowing how to plan your life independently of what type of things you're doing. So in that case, it's like a combination of uh, knowing what we were capable of uh, or uh, having uh, attracted some funds from uh, people that were interested in our product. So that basically they uh, invested in us and allowed us basically to work on it and mm -hmm. to further develop the product. And I won't lie, a bit of it, it's also about uh, self-funding. Oh, no, I just wanted to, mm, just wanted to know more, just like, I don't know, some, some stories, some um, inside how, like, how, how you're doing right now. We are doing well. We cannot complain. We have a mm. few customers, uh, some of them in the uh, Asia-Pacific area, and some other in the European, uh, in Europe. So we have a, a variety of customers shuttered around the world. And so considering that we are a fairly new company, we can say that we are doing uh, quite well and we are not having any problem in growing. We actually, we can see uh, that from now on, we will only grow stronger and bigger. Because basically now that we are starting to be established, with our customers, mm -hmm. that one basically it only allow us to to grow uh, farther and farther. Cool. And um, do you also distribute your product as a trial version or something that you could uh, give to listeners to try it on? Yes, we do. We actually uh, we have uh, our our product uh, can be uh, used as a trial version, and in that case, you will be able to 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 access. To the, all, all the functionality and play with them for a limited period of time, clearly. And we are actually also, uh, uh, we also offer the possibility to universities to have academic licenses. And in that mm -hmm. case, they will be able to use it as part of their teaching or anything without any charge whatsoever. So they will be able to, to, to use it as their own. Okay, so um, maybe you can give me a link and I will. And I will... Um, add it to the episode show notes that uh, people can try. I will be more than happy to do so. And we also have our own uh, small uh, server where basically if people do not want to install it on their own, they can also play it on our own installation. Mm, okay, so it's, um, it's a web version or yes, is it yes, a desktop? Yes. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's actually it's a good point. Our, our tool 
it's a it's a web uh, based uh, installation that can be run on your local machine but not mm. necessarily so you can have in the case of a company for example you can have your server set up somewhere so that all your employee will just access it to the browser which is a, a big advantage uh, in terms of portability security and this type of things mm. cool and um, actually, the last question that I forgot to ask about, um, how much time do you spend um, on developing or on coding versus to on consulting and um, more working with people? Just Well, uh, the one thing that you have to consider is that when you... So when you have your own company, you tend to work a bit more than the 40 hours that people normally work when they are employees. When you're a startup, you almost work non-stop you're almost on a 24 7 uh, 7 cycle yes and or, uh, at the beginning we were uh, clearly focusing more on the development aspect of mm-hmm. the product simply because yeah we needed to have the product in order to be able to uh, basically uh, provide consultancy and this kind of things now we are kind of like uh, switching ourselves on let's say a uh, 30, 30, 30, if you want to say. So, like, uh, a bit of our time is consultancy, a bit of our time it's uh, development, and the remaining of time is basically it's the management of the company that there are all the other tasks that still need uh, require our attention. I wanted to say, I wanted to say that uh, we, um, with whoever I talk about, also about Process Diamond, uh, usually, that's why I also ask uh, these questions about how you develop and stuff, because like many people are in some way fascinated in a way that very interested of how it actually works like how it works to develop um, a startup in this field so that's why it's uh, I tried to ask also those questions it's it's uh, the, 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 I, I will not lie the, the first month are extremely tough in the sense like you work non-stop and like mm-hmm. it, 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 you, you have no weekends no night it's it's Really, the only time that you're not working is the time when you're either eating or sleeping. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what it is. But the 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 point is that it it comes with the fact that it's basically uh, it's your own uh, product, and if you are not the one who cares about it, who else can do it? Mm-hmm. And that's that's the that's the reason. That's one oh, of cool. the advantages and disadvantages of a startup. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of freedom. You can work any time of the day, but you will end up working all the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a, a PhD on steroids. Uh, it's different. To be honest, it's a the PhD. It's, they're both stressful. Uh, I, I cannot tell you which one of the two is more stressful because on a PhD you have the pressure of like having to eventually coming up with some uh, interesting research problem and so on and so forth. While in the case of development, it's often it's a lot of work, but you kind of have in mind of what you need. So it's not really about researching the problem. It's more like about implementing a solution to a need that you already have in mind. I'm not sure if it's, it makes sense. 
You mean that uh, in the soft when you develop a software? Of, yeah, in the case of the yeah of the software development for the startup. If you are talking yeah, about software development, if I'm, if you are talking about other aspect of the startup, it's the same as a PhD, <laughs> because uh, in this case you have to learn a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Like uh, me and Ali, we are not only consultant and software developers. We also had to basically learn how to be marketers, learn how to be salesmen, learn how to be designer, learn how to be a content editor, uh, and everything, uh, uh, financial, uh, advi- not advice, uh, uh, officers, and all these kind of things. So it's, it's a lot of things that you have to learn on how to do when you're a startup and you're uh, growing up. Mm-hmm. Then once you reach a, a critical mass, then you can you start outsourcing this type of task. But at the beginning, you do everything. And if you do not mm-hmm. to do it, you learn about it. Yeah, so I think it's very interesting. Yeah. And I, it's, I think it's an experience that I will recommend to everyone because it's a great opportunity for personal growth. Mm-hmm. Independently, if uh, you start a company and this company is successful or not, you learn a lot in, during the process. And a lot of those things are things that you would never learn if you stay in a either academic environment or just inside, as a, inside a company as a normal uh, employees. So it's, 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 it's a good learning experience, but at the same time could be crushing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. To summarize, could be crushing. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> right. we only know the story of successful people. We don't know the story of of the millions of people that tried and failed. So, and they are the majority. <laughs> okay, that <laughs> that makes sense. Okay, thank you. I think um, yeah, that's what I wanted to talk about, and I'm very thankful that you agreed to talk about and I, I wish you success in um, acquiring more clients and everything works fine with um, process improvement projects in the companies that you consult and that you provide software. Thank you for Thanks joining. Thanks Anton and it's been a pleasure to, to be invited here at your uh, uh, podcast. It's been a pleasure. Really a great opportunity. Thank you for listening for this episode of A Side of Data. In case you have questions, follow them to asideofdata at protonmail.com or reach us at Twitter at asideofdata. Subscribe for more episodes in the future.